0: We, uh, <clears throat> we've noticed that the theme this morning is a theme that has to do with the Holy Spirit, and uh, especially something that the Paul wanted the Ephesians to know. Um, and so we're going to look at that this morning. But as we begin, I was thinking about uh, this Christian photographer this season during Halloween. He wanted to uh, catch a, a ghost take a picture of a ghost because he's always failed to do that, so he went out to a haunted house and um, he waited and he waited and finally a ghost shows up and he says, can I take a picture of you? And the the ghost was kind of, uh, well, flattered and said, sure, I'll, I'll, you need a portrait, you want me to stand to it? So he took several pictures of the ghost and uh, he said, I just want you to send me a copy when you get them done, send me a copy, said the ghost. And the guy was so excited about getting the the picture of a ghost, and he says, yeah, i will be glad to do that. So he goes back into the uh, the dark room and starts processing the film, and all of a sudden he opens it up and there's nothing on the film. He says, oh no, nothing on the film. And so he's really frustrated, and so he he says, God's teaching me a lesson here, I know what that. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flash was weak. Isn't that bad? The spirit is willing. It's a focus I want to focus on. And um, I was thinking, I got a a missionary letter from Emerson and Ivy Wu uh, this week. And boy, you talk about, those guys are workers and I love them. Uh, I just, I'm looking forward to see, hoping next year I can go visit them but uh, it says when we returned to the United States in July 17 we had scheduled more than a hundred engagements to share God's mission work with churches small groups and individuals we traveled through Pennsylvania Ohio Indiana Kansas California Nebraska with stops in Dover Naples Phoenix Chicago Portland Seattle and Vancouver traveling tens of thousands of miles around the states for a year was not easy our most difficult time was speaking 14 churches in 14 days And then they said, "This. we realized it was not possible for us to have such intensive travels this year if we had not had the Holy Sprint with us. (laughs) It was a typo, but the Holy Sprint, there you go. (laughs) And we tired easily, we enjoyed visiting the churches. And I thought, there you go, the spirit is willing, but the flash is weak. you know, the theme this morning is, is God has done something, enabled his people to do that which is far beyond what we can think or ask. Because if the Holy Spirit is with you, then there is a power and a resource that goes untapped. And indeed, uh, and, I, and I thought, I always struggle with titles, but this idea that we are endowed and induced by the Holy Spirit is something we want to think about. And so as we get, uh, as we review last week, the, um, we focused on repentance as something that we do, but the conversion is something that the Holy Spirit does. Is that when the Spirit of God comes inside a person, he doesn't stay the same. And when a child of God, uh, it, it, when, a, when a person is born again and make him a child of God, then the Spirit of God takes them into the Word of God and grows them up to be a man or woman of God. And so the idea of metanoia we've been talking about is this whole framework of seeing the world as the Holy Spirit sees the world. And that means there's there's something radically different about you and me. The flesh cannot change the flesh. The flesh cannot liberate itself, cannot do anything except trying to manage its own sinful behavior and so it becomes flesh management for a lot of people in a lot of churches becomes the definition of sanctification. That's not what we're, we're doing here at, at the um, CBC. The flesh is weak and according to Paul it is dead set against the things of the Spirit of God. So that natural man won't feel comfortable in a spiritual place where God is calling because the natural man won't respond. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us that he has already put off the old man and we are now to learn what it means to live in the new newness of life in the spirit. So that's what we've been talking about. Over the last couple of weeks we've been talking about these three steps. In any of these three steps you put off, you become renewed and you put on. It's not rearranged the old furniture so it's the same old, same old. There's something brand new about brand new. And therefore, the old things pass away. And there should be things, we'll look at these things that pass away and the things that become new as we get into talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, if you are an American Christian, I would venture to say that most American Christians are very, very weak the Spirit is willing, but the Spirit is also weak in American Christians because for the last couple hundred years, there has been a uh, approach avoidance because we don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. Because if you look at church history, there have been all kinds of problems with understanding. I just, I just learned last week that the four-square gospel church is called Foursquare Square. My brother goes to a four square church and i th- well why did they call it four square i didn 't know why they call it four square, but that was a split because there, there was a group called the fourfold and then it the, came the four square and they hold the same things except for one issue they believe that Jesus is a king redeemer, and savior, and the fourfold is he 's the sanctifier where the fourfold the four square jesus redeemer and king and the Baptizer in the Spirit, and they split over that one phrase: is he a sanctifier or is the baptiz- Baptizer in the Spirit? Well, that's kind of a silly thing to split o- split over, but they did. And so, this idea that there's tension from the Pentecostals, Evangelicals, Catholics, uh, Mystics—we we, we don't we're not very comfortable talking about that. And yet, I feel compelled that as you think about the Holy Spirit. Uh, that there's something that we need to learn more to become rigorously anchored in what the scripture teaches us and it's it's, it's a wonderful thing so it's not something that we should be afraid of but we simply need to be um, humbled and sensitive and open to learning what God has got for us. And so there's a lot in here. And so I want to go back before I get into the, the heart of the Scripture just to review a couple things about this idea that the Spirit of God is a companion. The companioning of the Holy Spirit is the, the symbol that is in the New Testament that if you are in relationship and reconciled <clears throat> with God, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the metaphor is that you sit down at table. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him. And he with me. With me is the theme. The idea that if you're going to sit at a table, well, what do you do when you go to lunch and you're sitting at the table? Um, and you're eating with your friends. What do you do? Well, you talk, and so the idea that it is a safe place, a talking place, where you get to learn what happened during the day, and you share, so and so, and uh, <clears throat> but the idea that at table with is the image that things are okay, and therefore Jesus, when he comes to dine with you and dine with me. It's a time of fellowship, a time of relationship. And so this idea of companioning, the word companion is, com means with, pan, pan, Latin, Spanish, bread. It's the breaking of the bread, it's the sharing. and um, But this idea that God is with us, we understand. That God, God, God's presence, and Rick, you mentioned that today in the Sunday school, that that as, a, as a young Christian, you began to know that I'm not alone. I, I'm, God is with me. Well, we know that God is with us. And so all the way through the Old Testament, you will see verse after verse after verse, story after story. Moses said, God, if your presence do, does not go with us, do not lead us out of Egypt. Moses wanted the presence of God, and God did lead him. Same for Joshua. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin... <clears throat> To exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel, so that may that they that Israel may know that I am with 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 did I say with that I am with you as I was with Moses, jo- Moses learned it, Joshua learned it, <clears throat> Isaiah learned it. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, Isaiah 41.10. And so you go through the scriptures. Haggai, here's the verse in Haggai. Now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, um, because you and all the people of the land, because I am with you. And so the Old Testament, the people of God always understood that God, Yahweh, was with. He was a with you kind of God. And therefore, he would say to Jeremiah, do not be afraid. No matter what you go through, whether it's cancer or any accident or ordeal, Among it's God is with you to the end of the age, said Jesus. Well, we know that about God. And that's why when Jesus was born, he was called Emmanuel, God with us. And so the idea that God is with us and Jesus is with us, we understand that. But when Jesus said, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper, another paraclete, another one, an advocate, one who's who's a friend who's going to companion you, partner with you, he's not your co-pilot. He's the pilot. And therefore, when the Spirit of God comes into the heart of the believer, it's because Jesus has promised you that he is going to send one to not leave you alone, not abandon you, but to walk with you every step of the way. And therefore, therefore, he will be with you and in you, said Jesus, about the Holy Spirit. And therefore, when you think... uh, uh, do we think about the Holy Spirit? We think about God being with us. We think about Jesus being with us. But we don't think about the Holy Spirit well, or often enough to think that he is with us. But this is the quote you have in the, in the passage. It says, The key to life in the Spirit for some is to spend much more quiet time in thanksgiving and praise for what God has already done. And you see the focus there isn't a self-centered focus, it's a God-centered focus of what God has done, one, and he's going to do, is doing, and promises to do, and you spend less time on your, what I call the BBS syndrome. And a lot of Christians have a BBS syndrome. You've heard of that syndrome? I made it up. Uh, It's called the belly button syndrome. So you look at your Christian life. I'm not doing this enough. I don't have enough discipline. My prayer life is a week. My Bible study, I should be doing this. No, I haven't done this. I'm kind of anxious. So the BBS syndrome puts your focus on you, your needs, your problems, your issues, your tension, your anxiety. And so when you go to God, some people go to God with their problems. If this is your problem and this is God... People go to Christ like this. This is my problem. I see God through my problems. Oh my God! As instead of seeing God and how God sees your problem, because it's totally different. And therefore, as we move into this, we focus more on Christ, the Spirit, and what God is doing in the Trinity. Now, here's the good news. The good news is not that Jesus came to shape you up. To change the old man. Not to make your life happy and give you an abundant life. That's not the focus. The good news is not that we can receive Jesus into our life and get all this good stuff. The good news is that he has received us into his life. And he introduces us. To the God who is there, the Father that he knows, the Spirit, and as, as the Spirit moves, we are introduced into a whole new realm that is not preoccupied with what God can do for me. It's free from <clears throat> all that preoccupation, all the doubt, all the things that we carry with us because we don't have the mind of Christ. So you go back to Genesis. And in Genesis, <clears throat> do you remember what that says? Notice in Genesis, it says, in the very beginning, jack out of the box, crack the book, there it is. First thing, that the Spirit of God was hovering, hovering over the waters. Now, think about that for a minute. There's nothing in the water. There are no animals in the water. The Spirit has to create. It isn't until day five that the fish come into the picture. All the sea animals come into the picture. And therefore, you have the picture from the very beginning that this darkness, this void, this emptiness, this chaos, this unformed creation becomes the playground of the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit of God creates. And when he creates, it's beautiful. But God moves into the darkness and creates light. God moves into the mess and creates wonder. The first thing the Bible tells you that the God who created the world, Jesus who is in the beginning with the world, and the Spirit of God is there in the beginning. And so we know from the very beginning there is nothing in your life that he can't handle, nothing that he can't change to make it beautiful, strong. And so he companions with us. So the Spirit of God was hovering And that idea of hovering was just like that bird, like a chicken, he's gonna protect, gonna work over. He's coming, but he's coming to the water. He comes to us, and therefore, we have this endowment, is what I'm calling it, this endowment. You know about an endowment, when somebody sets up a fund for an endowment, there's the property, the funds, which an institution takes care of a person, And that money keeps earning money, so out of the endowment they keep paying on a regular basis because there's a covering, of resource there. But it's also an attribute of mind or body. It's a gift that you have been given. And therefore, for God's elect, and this is important, you think about God's elect, when when the exiles were scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, All those who are outside of the kingdom of God, God calls and moves into them. And then he says, um, they've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now that means before you were born, God already knew before you were lost in Adam, you were found in the Spirit. You've never been out of His sight. He's always had His eye on you. There's something magnificent about this wonderful, protective, resourceful Spirit that moves towards us. And yet, to understand this, where we are to bring it up to today, you have to understand this word in in the um, in the New Testament, when you get into this idea of the law, the nomos, where the word deuteronomos, the second law, the idea we're going to look at is the law. And uh, let me give you an illustration about this. When you talk about the law, the law, when it goes to science, uh, it talks about the properties or the elements that are operating in any kind of law. And so I've got this balloon here. And so just to show you what this means is as it is, it's empty not void, it's void in there, but, but, uh, but I'm going to breathe my spirit into the balloon, so I'm going to try to do that without any hesitation. Now, what's inside the balloon is CO2, carbon dioxide, and the relationship between the carbon dioxide inside the balloon has to respond to another law, and that law is called gravity. So there it goes. There's the law of gravity that's an operation that you can't break. And there's certain certain laws in nature that God won't break, and man can't break because they are the laws of nature, the laws of science. Thermodynamics, law of gravity, But I happen to have here the other illustration that points out the idea that there's another law in existence. And it's the law of buoyancy. When you have helium, helium is superseding the law of gravity, and it doesn't have the same relationship as the CO2. The idea that the law of the spirit is a different law than the law of sin. Uh Uh-oh, Bob, you have to get the ladder now. (laughs) Now that's up there just to remind you that there's something more powerful than the natural law that we live by, think with, and live in. It's the law of the Spirit. But without that Spirit superseding, we succumb to the law of sin and death. The flesh is weak. The flesh is conditioned, cannot get out of the prison of the law of sin. And where sin is, the wages is death. This law that Paul is trying to teach to the Ephesians is the Mosaic law, not the Talmudic law, but the Mosaic law means that what God wants us to enjoy and experience in terms of the love of the law the goodness of the law, sin destroys, and says we can't do it. Kind of like an x-ray machine, the law shows us where we are not doing the law. And therefore, the purpose of the law, to express God's good will, and desires, shows us our failure, so we, we can't keep it. And therefore, we're bound by this law of sin, and whereas the law, if you read through that 10 Commandments, Everything that God says is always other-centered. You love the Lord. You love your neighbor. You don't steal because you're sensitive to the other. You don't lie because you're sensitive. You don't greed because you're sensitive to an other-centered lifestyle. And we're not that way because we've broken the law and the covenant. Let me go back here. To break the law is to promote selfishness. Now think about that. To break the law is to invite his judgment. To break the law is to enslave the soul. So you want what you want, you get what you get. And what you get is not what you want. Isn't that true? What you get by manipulation, you keep by manipulation. And then you have to protect by manipulation. And it's not what you want. It's not what you're built for. And therefore... We have broken the law and the covenant. So we think, and here's our problem, in our natural way, we think that we can get accepted by God if we just keep the law. And that's what religion is. That's what CO2 does to the balloon. It will make it rise, but then it quickly falls. Because you can't get God to accept you by keeping the law. Because the law doesn't deal with the issue of self-centeredness. The law doesn't deal with the sinfulness, the breaking of the covenant. Therefore, the flesh will always be operating in the flesh and always be operating in a self-centeredness that's not focused on the relationship. That's why the flesh can't change the flesh. That's why we are failing so often when we try to improve. We may improve a little bit, But we always go back to that self inward bent that's always there for us. And therefore, the flesh is still the flesh, operating outside of the relationship. This self-centeredness, self-absorbed, self-promoting, self-serving, self-determined, self-worshipping soul remains. And the way God deals with the natural man, according to the law, is to say, goodbye, I'm gonna kill you, I want you to die. So to follow Christ, to say, Goodbye to the old man. Put that off. But it's hard for us to understand that. And therefore, in Romans and in Ephesians, here come these questions. And so, actually, you know, if God's going to be good and the Spirit's going to be good and Christ is going to be good, then you say, hey, it's all good. It's all by grace. Why don't we just keep on sinning? And see, that fleshly part of us still continues to think fleshly about the spiritual. And it doesn't work that way. But there are four questions there. Are uh, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Let's just keep, if we, if we get more sin, we get more grace, right? That's a natural way of thinking. How can we live in it any longer, says Paul? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Well, no, Paul, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know, I didn't know that. And so the question is the, the Romans and the Ephesians and the Corinthians didn't know what we're teaching about the Spirit. They didn't know that the Spirit of God sets them free. That's why Paul says you've got to put off, be renewed, and then put on. And there's the whole thing of conversion. This is where Christ comes in, and the Spirit of God hovers over your heart and pulls out the beautiful things in you. This is a great thing. And therefore, we were buried with him, it says. We were buried with him through baptism into death, goodbye, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, hello, through the glory of the Father, we too might live without the BBS, without the self-preoccupation, self-absorbed. And now we become God-preoccupied, God-absorbed, God-centered, other-centered. We're just, we're free from all the junk in our life. We really are free from that. Not that there isn't junk, there's no junk. The sin, the self it's all there, but that's no longer the focus. And the good news is like, okay, Lord, hover over me, take that and just get rid of it, but make me new and the new law of life, that spirit that supersedes that law of the flesh is right above us, right there. And so if you understand, we have this new relationship when you put on Christ, you say goodbye, you get renewed in your thinking and you put on. And therefore we know that our old self, Romans says, we know that our old self, now notice that word, was, was, that's past tense, and crucified, that's past tense, was crucified. A double past tense. And therefore, if it's past tense, it's the past. And therefore, it says, if you understand the way God sees this, is that you no longer are the person you were. That old law, that old self, is not the way God thinks about you. It's the way you may think about you, but it's not the way the Spirit of God thinks about you. And therefore, so that the the body ruled by sin might be done, past tense, away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. No longer, past tense, past tense, put off, gone, goodbye. Because anyone who has died has been freed. Notice the, notice the past tense. And so Paul is saying to us, Christian, you're new. You're new. You're new. And therefore, there is no resurrection for the old self. God is not interested in shaping up the old self. He doesn't want to change the old man. He wants to say goodbye. And therefore, there is no need any longer to listen to the foolishness of the flesh. And therefore, that's the endowment that we have not received the spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit who is from God that we might understand who this Jesus is, who this Father is, who this Spirit is. And therefore, we walk and we are induced. Now, if you are into words like I sometimes like to go to the root, the word induce has the word D U C Duck or D U C E, deuce, uh, as the root. Now, you know this word because you hear about introduction and you hear about reduction. Introduction is to be introduced into. Reduce is to be led down, because D-U-C means to lead. Uh, Seduce means to be led astray. Deduce, to be led from. Education, Education is to be led into knowledge. And therefore for us, to lead or to be moved by persuasion or influence To some action or state of mind. To induce a person to buy that $1.6 billion lottery ticket. Prompted, induced. To bring about, produce, or cause that medicine. You might induce sleep. Anybody taking sleeping pills after jet lag, that might help. But you're trying to make something happen. When the baby is born and the labor is induced. so You see this idea that the induction into the kingdom means that the Spirit of God is going to lead you personally by name in your body, in your mind, and in your spirit into this wonderful relationship that God wants you to have and enjoy. That's what the Spirit of God does. But without the Spirit of God, you can understand, the non-believer cannot understand or value this love and the revelation apart from him. And therefore, without the Spirit of God, you are stuck in this law of the natural man, self-improvement, self-improvement, self-absorbment, all those things. But the law is spiritual. And therefore, it requires the Holy Spirit to interpret, to give us that understanding. But the Spirit of God gives you the understanding. You are free. And therefore, to understand that the induction unto the Spirit, there, you have to learn. There is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. Now, if you grew up in a certain kind of home where there was always condemnation, to lay aside that is not easy. But to learn to live without condemnation requires the power of the Spirit to rest in grace. That's why I say the definition of maturity for me is getting used to grace. Grace will paralyze your attempt to improve your life. Grace will paralyze your will to give God a reason to love you. Grace will call your name and you'll rest because there's no condemnation. God is not out to condemn you. God is not out to make you a pet project. He's trying to shape you up. Yet he's hovering over you. Why? Because he loves you. And God made it. God has made up his mind about you. He wants you. (laughs) He wants you. Simple. God made you. Redeemed you. Wants you. Little boat. You're twice mine. And therefore, this wonderful spirit pours out the love of God into your heart, lifts up the Savior so that you can see how much God does love you. And then when he comes, he leads you right back to that throne of grace. Man, what a wonderful spirit this is. And Therefore, I no longer have to be preoccupied with the old man because I'm in love with this new relationship in Christ. And therefore, the world can't accept him. Because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. Maybe not all that well yet, but you do know him. And you know it rings true in your spirit. And therefore, he lives with you and will be in you. And therefore, as God was the companion of Adam and Abraham and Moses and Joshua, as Christ was the companion of the disciples, so too the Holy Spirit is our companion, our leader, and our present helper. He helps us put off. He helps us renew. He helps us put on Christ. The good news is not that you can receive Christ and get new life. The good news is he invites us into his relationship with the Father. This gracious relationship with the Son. And this wonderful, accompanying, paraclete partner. Uh, The Spirit enables, that's our endowment. And the Spirit leads us. That's our inducement to put on this new man. Conclusion. As God has a new creation, as a new creation, we actually want to, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. We want to, not because we get anything out of it or we get earn our way or whatever, but simply we're free to love. God simply frees us from ourselves to be other centered. So we say with the psalmist, I desire to do your will, God. Oh, my God, your law is within my heart. And for that reason, we have hope that God is with you to the end of the age and beyond. Isn't that great news? Now, the Ephesians had to learn that. The Romans had to learn that. The Corinthians had to learn that. We all have to learn that. So with that, we just say we can praise God because He's worthy he's worthy. And he's going to send us the helper. We will look at next week what that looks like in the church and outside of the church. So Brian, would you come on up and lead us in our final song? But as we go, just remember, the spirit is willing. His spirit is more than willing. We no longer have to deal with the flesh.